All right, Pete Giuliano, it is Saturday, the 23rd of May, 2020, and that makes this solder smoke, what? what's the number? 222. 222, an auspicious number. Yeah, that used to be yes. a TV show. Yeah, really? Room, room 222 with oh, room Michael, 222. Michael Constantine and Karen Valentine. When I started, th- oh, you, 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 man, you got, you, the memory is like a, it's like a, it's like a trap. Well, well, Something goes in there, it never comes out. You know, the thing that's interesting was that was a time when uh, kids in school didn't worry about being unfriended on social uh, media. I mean, the biggest thing uh-huh. they worried about was acne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Pete, good to see you here. Good to get another, another solder smoke going. Of course, we're still under a lockdown quarantine, but no, and so no travelogue, but I think we should introduce a new segment to replace it temporarily. We're going to call it Solder Smoke Almanac. There you go. It's like uh, Garrison Keillor's Almanac. Yes. You know, remember that? They used to be on? Yeah. They got in trouble? Yeah. Yeah, but now it's Solder Smoke Almanac. First Memorial Day in the United States, a very solemn day, nothing really to joke about. Um, and of course, you and I think about this a lot, but... Um, it's also the unofficial beginning of summer. Yes. But we must say, be careful out there. Don't get carried away. Virus is still out there. Yeah. Lurking. And so, you know, be careful. All the same kind of common sense things that people have been doing, still recommended. Another thing to note in the Almanac, and this is because we are a global enterprise around the world. Yes. Everybody. Uh, right around that, Right around today... It's the end of Ramadan, so I'll say Eid Mubarak to everyone out there celebrating that. They're also having a difficult time celebrating it this year, and we have we have many uh, people who are celebrating uh, the Eid and the end of Ramadan, so good luck to them. Stay safe. Also, another thing on the Almanac, Pete, and, it, and I noticed this. I, I, I called this up. Today, ladies and gentlemen, marks six years of Giulianismo. Six years of Pete Giuliano on the Solder Smoke Podcast. God, time flies when you're having fun. That's Pete. enough to make you sick. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's it. You know, I don't know how we did it, but I don't know how I did it before. Say thank you. You started on Solder Smoke One Six One. This all occurred to me because uh, we'll we'll talk about this in a minute. But I was on interviewed on another podcast, and uh, and I I just I re- I went back and I said you know. How how we started, you were going to come on for like one segment, one session. You were going to be interviewed and you were going to talk about tribal knowledge. But I, I, I quickly discovered that there was so much tar- tribal knowledge <laughs> that we just said, we got to do another one, part two. Well, now we're up on what? Part, what, 40, 62. Yes, yes. <laughs> 61, 62. Six years later. Excellent. So, But, but th- I thank you, Pete. People might not realize this, but Pete is up at Oh, dark 30 yes. California time. <laughs> yes. And for a Californian to get out of bed before the dawn, I mean, look, most of the stereotypes about Californians, they're kind of true. And so early risers does not what comes to mind. Remember the old Woody Allen movies when he used to fly out to California and everybody would be wearing leisure suits and relaxed. <laughs> the New Yorkers would all be tense. I- anyway, Pete is up at 5.30 in the morning. And one other thing on the Almanac... Uh, this event has already passed, but I want to thank everybody who sent in good wishes on Billy's graduation from college. He's getting ready to head up to Boston in a week or so to start work at the lab. We're all very proud of him. It's a diff- difficult time for a kid to be traveling, though, but he's, he's just got to do it. And it, it also is very difficult on 
on me and his mom because it's it makes it it's 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 now really difficult for us to just jump on an airplane and go up there and visit him or vice versa. So we're it's kind of a an extension of the of the difficulties we mentioned earlier. But he's off. He's he's very excited. It's going to work out well. And really, he's uh, he's very fortunate to have found something in his field. It's always hard coming right out of college, especially now. So uh, we're we're very proud of him and uh, very happy he's going to be starting a new a new career there. Thanks to everybody who offered the best wishes. Hey Pete, I was on another podcast. Yeah, it was fun. Cool. Ham Radio Workbench with uh, George and Jeremy. Um, it's it's a it's a really nice podcast, I, and I enjoyed talking to those guys. We had a lot of fun. We went on for about two hours. I spent a significant portion of the time singing your praises, <laughs> and also Farhands too. Yes, it, it, and it was fun because it, it really, and and other people too. <clears throat> mentioned lots of other people as we went through, and it was just it was, it was an opportunity for me to kind of sit back and think about all the fun we do have here on this podcast and it's because of all the other people that are that are involved so so that was great i have the link to it up on um on the uh, on the on the solder smoke blog if anybody wants to take a listen it's it's kind of fun this might might explain why we're a bit late we said we were going to be doing two a month and now we're almost exactly one month since the last one but we had this intervening thing where i was interviewed by ham radio workbench so we you know Pete, one of the things we've we've kept in mind as we do this is that we we can't do this too often. We can't do the podcast too often because then it turns into a cult. Yeah, and we don't want that. Yeah, but it takes a lot of preparation too. I mean, if you well, want a I, quality I, podcast, you just don't get up five minutes before and start talking. That's right. Yeah, that's right. This, we, we work very hard on this thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Speaking of working very hard, Pete Giuliano. Tell us what is on your workbench. The, the the radio listeners out there want to know. Okay. Uh, first of, I, I want to share that I received a catalog from DX Engineering this week. Uh-oh. Catalog from DX Engineering. And in the inside front cover is a nice little note from K3LR, Tim Duffy. And he's the, I guess, president and CEO of DX Engineering. And he starts off by saying he's so happy that I got his catalog. I said, "Wow, I'm glad you're happy that I got your catalog." I mean, he's, <laughs> we're and then he said, "We're all Elmers here. We're here to help you. Yeah, we're here to help you take your money." <laughs> you know. But, Hold up, Peter. I got, I've got to alert uh, our lawyers at Dewey Cheatham and Howe yes, before you proceed yes, any further. Yes, but go ahead. Yes. But anyway, the thing that struck me is if you go to if you got a catalog, go to page fifty two, fifty three. And they have a whole bunch of dipole antennas, simple dipole antennas, and they start at one hundred and twenty-five dollars. I but mean, Pete, they they, <laughs> they have no, they're, they're different, man. The, the the copper, the oxygen molecules have been removed. Uh, uh, the electrons zip up and down a lot smoother. I, I I'm beside myself, and I'm I'm thinking here, you know, with the pandemic that we're faced with, and we're spending a lot of time at home. This. And the weather is turning nice. This this might be better than February to work on antennas. <laughs> yeah, but that, I agree with you. But we all know that that they will not 
work quite as well. You might lose a few dB yeah. if they go up in good weather. Yeah, yeah, that's <clears> true. <throat> There's a little advantage of going yeah, up yes, it's the in gro- the middle of a howling snowstorm. The snow snowstorm. ground plane, the snow ground that's plane. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, also the, the kind of the, 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 the radio gods like the, 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 the antennas supported yeah. or raised during adverse winter weather conditions. Well, we know this. I, I want you to convince yourself. I want you to go to the Solder Spoke blog in the upper right-hand corner, find the Amazon block, and type in there, Ceramic antenna insulators. Just type that in there and boom. Don't tell me that Bezos has this stuff. He does. He does. <laughs> he does. Guy has everything. He, he, he's got a six-pack of, of the real nice ceramic insulators, the, the really good kind, 12 bucks. Their, their algorithm obviously told them that there was going to be a call for this. Yeah. and they even sell the, the center dipole insulator, you know, where you can connect the two ends of the wire and screw a coax on it or 450 <laughs> ohm. You can buy that at Amazon. Pete, how many different things have you used for that piece over the years? Yeah, yeah, plywood. <laughs> Pieces of plywood, yeah. sticks, yeah. So, rubber, yeah. you know, cable ties. Yeah, so, so the thing is, convince yourself. And then you can get number 16 wire, plastic coated. You can get 200 feet for about 38 bucks. Now, Man. what's interesting about dipoles, and uh, this is another thing, you can get some of the design programs like EasyNeck that, that tell you everything you want to know about building a dipole antenna. But yep. uh, uh, a, a half-wave dipole at 7.2 megahertz, about 65 feet long. Mm-hmm. That also happens to be a full wavelength on 20. If you make that 98 feet, which is three half wavelengths on 20 that's a gain antenna that is a gain antenna you get 3 db gain on that dipole and if you put a tune homebrew a tuner you can do that pretty easy get some capacitors and a big old chunk you know copper tubing i mean you can set yourself up with with a gain antenna and not spend a hundred bucks i i'm just beside myself why wouldn't you do that why would you not do that I know, I know, I know. It's it's part of a part of the larger problem, and it's also part of the problem where you guys are afraid to use anything except a commercial, super duper automatic antenna yeah. tuner. I mean, b- building a transceiver is not everybody's cup of tea, but building a dipole antenna is probably within the skill set of ninety eight percent of all hams. Okay, you you can do it. <laughs> it can be done, and it will work. Yeah, it and will, you, and you. And you and you probably won't blow up the uh, the, the 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 mega bucks rig that yeah. you have at the other end. You know, I think that's the real fear. You know, that's the other thing too. Is I, I looked at the radios; they don't even list the prices in the clock catalog. They said call or check the whip. <laughs> I mean, it, it's enough to scare you. <laughs> it's a, it's like that old thing about yachts. You know, if you have to ask, you just can't afford. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 a problem. Anyway, I I'm not denigrating dx engineering but but i'm thinking i I looked at that and i said you know most of that stuff i can't afford i mean how do you spend five thousand dollars for a radio that that you you know and it's going to sit there and then you don't what typically happens a lot of hams don't invest in the antenna so you get this five thousand dollar radio into a marginal antenna and and you you said gee i can't talk to anybody Well, well this is this is this is a really important point because and i and i think it's you know, I notice, especially among among new hams, who are used to sort of commu- consumer electronics, especially in urban areas, 
where the antenna was just sort of an afterthought or not really necessary. In other words, you have this FM broadcast receiver there, and it has an antenna connector on the back. But the signals are so strong in your area that the thing will work without hooking up an antenna. So this kind of encourages a line of thought where, well, the antenna is sort of not really necessary. And you'll hear guys saying, well, you know, I, I built this thing, and then I, I, I hooked up a wire on the back connector, and gosh, I can't hear anything. Well, it's, it's a little different now. You're in the ham bands. You're not dealing with megawatts off the big 103. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's hundreds of watts from 1,000 miles away. So you, you definitely do need the antenna, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I just think about this, guys. I mean, we're, we're in this hobby, and it, it, it does require a little bit of technical ability. And, mm. and building a dipole antenna is within 98% of the ham's technical ability. So save yourself a few bucks. There, there Save you yourself a few bucks and get some more satisfaction out yeah. of it. Yeah, and get it's, out, it's, the weather's it's, it's nice. Fun. Get out, get get the outdoors. Nice. Get outdoors. Get out of the house. Yeah, yeah. Get out there. Yeah. Throw some wires up in the trees. Yeah. Participate in the old traditions. Have the neighbors think you're as nutty as we are. Yeah, yeah. It's great. There you go. That's okay, great. I'm shifting gears now. You start off by talking about tribal knowledge. Tribal knowledge. Tribal knowledge. And well, gather gather around <laughs> the fireplace now, yeah. gang. And and the thing is, I'm I want to give you an update on our friend Dean KK4DAS and his furlough 40. Furlough 40. He's got it working on all cylinders. He now gets seven watts out on 40 meters and he's working a lot of DX with a dipole antenna. I mean European DX at at QRP power levels. And this is your design the SSB simple SSB right? Yes yes. I mean that's that's and it's it is just so cool that Dean gets to go do all this work in direct communications with the guy who put pencil to paper and designed this thing. Yes. That's one of the beauties of what we have today. This is something that never never existed when we were kids. I mean, you there was this article in QST, and then you struggled to build it. You weren't even aware of the errata. Yeah. <laughs> the numerous yeah. errata that often stopped the thing from working, you know. But now here, you know, Dean can build this thing and be in daily contact with the yeah. designer working out working out the uh, the bugs. And, and it's kind of interesting. I kept going back. I said, something is not right with your bandpass filter. And he finally mm-hmm. made some changes. <laughs> and that was the problem. But, I mean, yeah. that's where the tribal knowledge comes in. I mean, if it, if it works on receive, it's a bilateral it's a bilateral device. If it works on yeah. receive, it's going to work on transmit. The only thing oh. that prevents it from working to full capability has got to be the low-pass filter and band-pass filter, and it was. Yeah, that's it. No, you, you called it. That was right. And, you know, it's funny. I, I've, I've made a couple really minor contributions when I looked at stuff that, that Dean was doing. I remember at one point, and these are, these are the things that we all kind of learn as we go yeah. along. The only I think the only thing I did was one time he, he reported – like really high voltage levels recorded <laughs> by his Rigel yeah. scope. 200 watts. Is, no, it's 200 volts. It's yeah. 250 volts. I said, geez, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's some really high Q in there, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just said to him, I said, Dean, um, you know, just just check the uh, the scope probe there. It's is it on 10x, and is the uh, is the scope is the setting on the scope also on 10x? And and it was like, yeah, I mean, we've all done that, so it, it was fun just to kind of kind of share that experience. But I agree with you; it's been great fun watching Dean. 
I, I don't know if you've thing. seen his. He's now moved to color TFT display. Ah. And and so he's he's uh, he's on a trip to I guess to a summer home uh, this week. Yeah, weekend. he's on the eastern shore. Yeah. yeah. So he's he brought he brought the display with him and he's uh, playing with it. So he's having a lot of fun with that. And I said, yeah. I said, now you now you've gone from the LCD <laughs> to the TFT. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so it's a quick tra- it's a quick transition. But I mean, it's pretty exciting to see that. Um, First off, someone could replicate the design and actually make it work. <laughs> but but there's a few other guys working on this. Uh, I mean, they've followed his blog, and I've, I've received some requests for information. So it's kind of nice to see that uh, there's there's a little excitement being generated. But no, he's I mean, working some DX with that. It's amazing. He's working a lot of Europeans. He's going yeah. all 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 over the place on forty. Yeah, you know? and 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 with low power, he doesn't. You know, he hasn't built the empire. You know, he. Um, Dean was uh, was kind enough to, to kind of look back and say, you know, that you and I called it in terms of telling him where the difficulties would come up. And the difficulties come up when you start producing significant RF. amounts of RF. Yeah. You know, and, and I remember the, I, I have the article about, um, from, from Rocky, C.F. Rocky, where he talked about the the production of, of RF in significant quantities is likely to lead to problems in, in all you know transmitters and transceivers, and it's true. It's that's that's where the 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 tale of woe begins. Right. Pete. Well, you you know it's all it's all within your realm. Like for instance, uh, he's quite excellent on software because that's what he's done all his life. And and me, I can see getting into problems, and I I'll see something, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what next step because I just don't have that extensive skill set that I do on, on the hardware side, on the software side. So, I mean, it's a little, I, I can well understand what he's going through. I just, you're there and you know, you, you know, it's not right, but you don't know the next step you need to take. So, uh, yeah, uh, we, we got, we all have skills and his happens to be in software. So he's having a lot of fun with the transitioning to the color TFT. Well, the color TV, TFT would be really cool. I, I, I kind of look with envy on those things every once in a while, especially when I see that little kind of, a panoramic SDR display coming up on some of them. That's uh, that, yes. that, that is really cool. <laughs> yes, we'll get you there yet, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm moving. You know, yeah. I, I had to explain <laughs> on Ham Radio Workbench that our our digital analog kind of rivalry here on the podcast is largely contrived. You know, there there's some elements of truth there. I generally prefer. The analog thing, but I've got some SI fifty three fifty ones, and I also pointed out in that podcast, Pete, that in terms of analog circuits, you've forgotten already more than I'll ever know about this <laughs> stuff. So it's 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 really unfair for me to to cast Pete Giuliano as a kind of a digital, you know, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, hey, uh, the final thing, the final thing in the work bench is a hardware phasing rig. Uh-huh. This almost did me in. This well, you know, it's good for you in. to say that. It's good. Tell us about this. It's good. Okay. This is good. I, I have built four phasing networks, four of them. And I tell you, it wasn't until I got to the fourth one that I finally got something that's sort of working. It's it's just, it's not exactly where I'd like it to be, but it's close. And I, and I found out the hard way that components values of components are really critical and if it's not if those values are not exactly dead nuts on 
you're not going to get a 90 degree phase shift. I bought a bag of 100 10 nanofarad 5% capacitors. I went through 100 to find six that were 10 nanofarad. Wow. And, and some of these were all over the place. Yeah, they were 5%, but most of them were off the 5%. There were only six out of 100 that were actually 10 nanofarad. And that makes a difference. It does make a difference. I remember when I was building the, my phasing receiver, also by KK7B, you know, he, he really specified, you know, the, the, the precision. And he actually gave, like, I think Mauser part numbers where you got really high precision values for the, for the caps and the coils and stuff in those, in those uh, phase shift networks. You know, um, I put up a uh, kind of a hand-drawn diagram uh, a, a few weeks back. Take a look. I mean, since the last podcast, I think, that shows sort of my understanding of how the phasing relationships lead to a single sideband signal, both on transmit and receive. So if anyone out there right now is, is sort of scratching their heads, wondering what Pete is talking about with the 90-degree phase shift, if you take a look at that diagram, spend a few minutes with it, and really think about it, you, it'll the light bulb will come on and you will have a better understanding, I think, uh, of how the phasing system works. Now, Pete, in terms of tribal knowledge, I, you know, I was feeling your pain. I could, I could see it, and I've been there. And listen, I got emails from a few other guys too, who were similarly sympathizing and actually worrying a little bit, you know, about how how much you were suffering with this thing. But I said no. I said, look, Pete knows how to handle this, and this is a really good point in terms of sharing tribal. I guess this is tribal wisdom more than tribal knowledge. And that is, and, and you did this, when you get into a jam like this, when you got something that you can't make it work, the thing to do is disengage, all right? Put it on the shelf, work on something else, walk the dog. I have gone even further in this area, Pete, and I know there's people out there who think maybe this is a bit nutty, but, I, but there's, this is something I discovered during lockdown, and I want to share it with the group. There's something, Elisa, has, my wife's been pushing me for a while to get more involved in this. Um, actually, at, at work, they were pushing it too. It's, it sounds really Californian. It sounds really West Coast. We're talking meditation, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. Now, I know a lot of guys now are throwing the pencil up in the air saying, okay, Bill has gone completely <laughs> wacko in lockdown. But here's the deal. What meditation really is all about is stopping your your mind from just going around in circles with all kinds of chaotic thought. It's like clearing the deck. It's like shutting everything down. It's really simple techniques that can allow you to do that. And they say that after you've done this, even if you only do it for 10 minutes a day, it has kind of a lasting effect. And you're better able to focus. You're better able to think clearly. Because when you think about what we think about, we're, random thoughts are bouncing through our heads all day, especially during all this COVID-19 stuff. Where, Pete, where I was experimenting with it, I've been playing chess. You know, I've been playing chess with the computer. Computer almost always beats me. But I find that if I do a 10-minute meditation session and then play the computer, my chances of beating the machine are much higher. So it's made me a believer. So any of you who are stuck in the kind of uh, problem that Pete was in, you might want to consider meditation. Also, Hackaday ran an article not long ago yeah. about the need for more weirdness. 
and they were talking about exposure to kind of modern art or abstract art and they they were claiming that this also helps in sort of getting your mind out of the out of the circuitry problem remember the story with gene shepherd when he was having problems with his heising modulator yes and he just couldn't stop thinking about it even when he went on the date with, with the, the girl. girl yeah and she, and she just noticed that he was obsessed about something and she said what's bothering you and he looked at her he took a deep breath and he says my heising modulator is distorting. <laughs> and she looked at him and said, I think there's something wrong with you. Yes. Your mother should take you to a doctor. <laughs> so before you get to that point, disengage, at very least disengage for a while. You might want to consider meditation and take a look at the Hackaday article on weirdness. Well, you know, that's true. And and I wanted to share um, a real experience here. And this is this is really interesting. And sometimes the answer is staring you in the face. KK7B's design is not only for, it's, it's called multi-mode. So it's not only sideband, but CW. And how he achieves CW is he's got a little keying circuit in there that actually introduces a DC voltage into the SBL1. Normally where the audio goes, there's yeah. a DC voltage, and this unbalances the balance modulator, the double balance mixer, and, it, and it, creates, it creates a carrier. Okay, so on one of the channels, I was having a carrier, and I other channel, I was not. And I'm saying... But I didn't build that circuit. I didn't build the CW part of the circuitry. I, how can that be? How can that be? And I thought I had a bad, I thought maybe I over-voltaged uh, ADE1. I pulled it off the board, put a new one in there. Guess what? Same problem. And it drove me nuts. And then I took a good hard look. On the output of the KK7B uh, phase shift network, is two there are two transistors two 2N3904s on on each leg and that's to boost the, the voltage and also provide some buffering and and there's a uh, 1k emitter resistor and a 2N3904 and then I think it's a 33 microfarad electrolytic and then 150 ohm off of that and then it goes into the I and Q channels I took a good hard look when I had soldered one of the wires to what I thought was the end where the 150 ohm and the uh, 33 microfarad, it actually bridged over so it was right on the emitter. I was pumping emitter voltage <laughs> into that channel. Oh. <laughs> and that's why I was getting a carrier. So I said, hey, that works pretty good. So I, great. so I had, <laughs> I had soldered the wire and the carrier went away. Three days, ah. three days, and and it was almost imperceptible. I had to take the magnifying glass out. It was almost imperceptible to to find that I was pumping DC voltage. So in, uh. if you want to put CW into your sideband rig, just put some DC voltage into what SBL one. Yeah. So, but but Bill, it drove me nuts. I I just could not understand because i did not build the cw part of the circuitry and and i'm saying how could i get it and and so once i fixed that uh, that that part cleared up but there's still some other issues but anyway um this is where next time i got an issue like that i'll know 
or yeah, and get disengaged. Yeah, go back, just, take, yeah. take a look, give yeah. it some time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, but you know, this is also a good, a good story, a good tribal wisdom story, because <clears throat> I think a lot of the the newcomers, a lot of the new hams, think that folks who have been in the game for a long time, like you and I, you more than me, but you know, a lot of experience, they have the impression that when we build something. It works the first time, and we never make any me? mistakes. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our world. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling the story on Ham Radio Workbench that, that I was putting a, a, an additional amplifier circuit in my um, in one of the the shortwave receivers that I've been working on. It just needed a little more gain, so I went in there and I used one of my favorite amplifier circuits which is from farhan's uh bit x's it's the one of the feedback amps with rc coupling so I, I whipped this thing together i put it in there and i've been getting into the habit of measuring gain in db to make sure that everything's working right so before i even fire this thing up i measure the db gain of the amplifier stage and it's got terrible it's got like it's got like almost no gain I mean, I could see, I'm getting output, but there's no gain. I'm thinking, what what the heck is wrong? And then so I, I took a quick look back. Well, I had put all the components on the little, like, daughter board that I made, but I had neglected to put in the 2N3904 transistor. Oh, okay. Amplifiers don't work very well <laughs> yeah. if you don't include so, the active where, where's device. Where's that device? <laughs> where'd where'd it go? And the reason... The reason I didn't put it in there was because I always put the transistor in last because I don't want to damage it with excessive heat as I'm putting the other components in there. So all the capacitors and resistors were in there, you know, bellissimo, but it didn't have that, uh, you know, a key ingredient. Yes, And yes. so, I, yeah, yes, these mistakes happen even even if you've been doing this for 40 or 50 years. Yeah. Well, well, that runs up. I've been Bill, Shameless Commerce Division. This is the Shameless Commerce Division. And welcome to the Shameless Commerce Division Quarantine Edition. Um, uh, my Amazon box is now working fine business. I have uh, Bezos changed the rules, and I, I briefly thought that my career with Amazon was ending, but that's not the case, ladies and gentlemen. It's just changed a bit. And the box is there in the same old spot. And you'll notice there's a couple of Amazon ads down below. There's a search box there. So you can begin your search there for whatever you want to buy. A Lamborghini. The, McLaren. Uh, you know, the, ins the McLaren. The insulators for Pete's dipole antenna. The, the wire. All that kind of stuff. You could buy it right there. Just search for it. Boom, cha-ching. We get a little bit of money. But the only thing that Bezos is now asking for is that I put a couple of ads below it. Now here's the here's the really interesting thing. I get to pick what kind of ads go there. So I have tried, I think with some success, to put ads there that you guys will find pleasing when it appears on your screen. Now, look, I don't have control over a whole lot of the other ads. The Google ads, they're all based on your search patterns. So that's on you, okay? <laughs> when they, when some of that stuff appears on your screen, that's because what you've been looking at on Google, okay? The adult it, toys will show up. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to do with this. However, in the Amazon ad corner up in the upper right, yeah, that's I, I could pick that. So I now have Rigel scopes up there. There you go. Just because they look cool and they're reasonably priced, right? I, so I really you don't like have to buy a Rigel scope. scope. You could buy anything. You could buy your Lamborghini there too. Yeah. 
Dean's scope is really neat. You know, Dean's scope, he's got a 200 megahertz, and he paid for what that what I paid for the hundred megahertz a year I ago. I think you could. Yeah, I think you could. I think that's one of the ads. They're all they're all down around two three hundred dollars. Yeah. Hey Pete, your scope though, I was really impressed about how it was displaying the ninety degree phase shift with the circle there. Yeah. I mean that that's really useful for our yeah. one hundred megahertz um, scope. Two hundred megahertz would be nice. Because that would sort of allow you to kind of move with more confidence into the VHF construction area. So we'll have to take a look at that. Anyway, uh, do search for whatever you want starting there at the uh, at the at the the Amazon blog, uh, Amazon ad portion in the upper right hand corner of the Solder Smoke blog. Hey, a couple other things I'd like to add, please. You know, put comments on the Solder Smoke blog. We know there's a lot of listeners. I put stuff up there. There's a comment section down below. I really like to see comments there because it stimulates a bit of a discussion. So, you know, nice friendly comments there would be appreciated and we can get a discussion going. A lot of guys are sharing really good uh, tribal knowledge down there or, or knowledge of particular circuits or rigs. So feel free, fire it up. I mean, it, it's easy to do. I mean, sometimes you have to sort of register or something, but it just takes a few seconds. Or you can even comment anonymously. That's fine too. We, we allow that. But let's get some discussion going there in the in the comments section below the Solder Smoke blog posts. And then finally, one thing, um, I've been making more YouTube videos, you know, as part of the need to have something to do here during quarantine and lockdown. But I also kind of like the whole YouTube uh, video thing. There's a lot of creativity going on there. There's a lot of opportunity to try to improve the video quality. So that's one thing I've been doing. I have a new iPhone. Elisa got me a new iPhone. It's got a fantastic 12 megabit camera in it and all kinds of capabilities there. So I'm shooting new YouTube videos and I'm putting them up. It would really help me if people would look at the YouTube videos because YouTube tracks how many views you get and it also tracks how much viewer time there is. Okay. So I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of subscribers. We've got like 1200 subscribers there but not a lot of viewing time, and that's because most of my videos are short. So if you go back and look at them, and especially some of the longer ones, that would help me get up the uh, the view time that, that Amazon is tracking. But Pete, that concludes this episode of, of Shameless Commerce Division quarantine segment. I guess we got to move to my bench now, huh? All right. Um, so I've got a lot of projects because we're in, in quarantine, so more time in the shack. And I... I'm still dabbling, still playing around with shortwave listening. And one of the things I've, I've, I've had fun with is looking at the old dials of shortwave receivers, like my old S38s, that receiver that you love so well, the <laughs> S38. One of the coolest things about these old receivers is they have amazing kind of uh, exotic locations for the shortwave stations on them. I found one that had like Schenectady, New York <laughs> on it. Yeah, I have one here, and I put that up on the blog. But they also really cool exotic locations like Java, Krakatoa, east of Java. But here's the thing that I have been doing, and I think it, it, it's another kind of reminder of the benefits and beauty of home brew. So I built this Q31, you know, 31-meter shortwave receiver. It sounds fantastic. I listen to all kinds of stuff on it. I love it. And I have a little uh, CD little small CD now serving as the tuning dial. But when you make your own rig, when you roll your own, I label the dial 
with the geographic locations. So, and I'm putting them where these stations actually are right now, not where they were back in 1962. So I have, I have Beijing, I have Madrid, I have Ankara, I have um, Monticello, Maine, Athens, you know, Cypress Creek, South Carolina, all these locations what, on there. What's in Monticello, Maine? That's WBCQ. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. T- That's where Tim, WHLR, WA1HLR is the chief engineer Yeah, yeah, up there. yeah, yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, and they have some great programming up there. Um, and so all these places are on there. But this gives us an opportunity to bring back this old tradition of placing exotic geographic place names on our dials, right? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it with little sticky notes, right? I'm sure there's guys out there who can fire up the software and come up with some real digital artistry that'll make this thing look really pretty but that's kind of fun um the other thing i got into was again inspired by you and that's my second vfo made with a galaxy 5 uh capacitor pete about a year ago sent me this beautiful capacitor with this amazing reduction drive mechanism and a ba- anti-backlash gear. And the, the thing was so beautiful. I remember when I got it, I said, I'm going to build something with this, but I got to keep this component visible because it's just beautiful. So that's what that's why the capacitor on the Q31 receiver is just sitting there up on top, center stage. It looks With the amazing. roll bar. With the, and I made a roll bar for it so I don't, actu- so I don't accidentally damage it. But it's, it's really one of the most important features of this, of this receiver. But then a few weeks after I mentioned all this on the, uh, on the podcast, Pete said that he spotted another one on eBay. And I, I checked it out, and I, it was like, it was 10 bucks, all right? A few bucks for shipping, but 10 bucks. And I sent off, okay, I bought it. A couple days later, a few days later, the thing shows up in the mail. And it's got the front panel from the Galaxy 5, and it's got the VFO box kind of dangling precariously off the back inside is the capacitor that i was mostly focused on but then you gave me another good piece of advice you said don't just focus on the capacitor there's a lot of other good components in there the other thing you said that made me think about it pete was you said about how how linear the tuning was on the galaxy 5 you know each turn of the dial brought an identical or nearly identical change in frequency which is something you don't often see with kind of discrete component analog vfos right right Um, and that's because when you get to the end of the capacitor range a little bit of movement is causing a a massive increase or decrease in capacitance whereas if you're at mid-range the the change in capacitance is fairly consistent from one increment to the next anyway i noticed this but the, so I started looking at the circuitry, and they, they use a different circuitry circuit there. They use a series-tuned Tune culpits. Yeah. I had never built a, a VFO with a series-tuned culpits, but I kept almost all the same components that they used in the original Galaxy 5 circuit. Obviously, I wasn't using a 6EA8 tube, but I, I figured out how to use a J310 FET, junction field effects transistor, in there instead of the tube. I changed a little bit of the power circuitry, but the, the, the frequency-determining circuitry remained almost identical. And when I fired it up, it was amazing because the it, it came up right away, and the uh, 
and the frequencies were right in the same place that they were back in the day of the Galaxy 5. So then it became a little bit of kind of stabilizing and pruning, but remarkably stable. And I, I ran some videos up on YouTube that show over a period of five hours how little this thing moves. What I do is I put it at zero beat and I just let it run and I have a receiver that's zero beating at a very stable receiver. And I'll come back in the shack during the course of the day and if it's still at zero beat, that's good enough for me. Um, anyway, um, this, so this is, I just the doorbell rang. Just hold on a second. I'll be right back. If it, anyway, if it stays at zero beat, that's good enough for me. So um, we're um, that's what we're that's what we've been working with, and uh, and, and it and I I took this thing and uh, I made up my own little kind of dial mechanism, which was a lot of fun. And Pete, I noticed that the the linear tuning stays the same. You'll you'll see on a little video that I made, one and a quarter turn from. 7 to 7.3, one and a quarter turn on the mean dial results in 100 kc's movement all the way through. So it's got that linearity that you that we talked about sometimes. But, but how I, did they know how to do it? And helicrafters and national just escaped I, them. I don't, I don't really understand it, but it's... Um, it's it's a lot of it's it's a lot of fun. We still have to explore this a little bit. It may be something to do with just where they have the, that they're not running the main tuning capacitor near the ends. Maybe it's all most of the tuning is taking place on the mid-range portion of these capacitors, where the delta C and and, and the delta XC is is consistent during the, that portion of the tuning range. You know that, I, that that'll right work with a bit X a bit X forty. Well, that's that what range. I did. I, to, I well, I well, I told you, I, I moved it a little bit. I moved it down to bit X forty range, and I've paired it up with a bit X forty module that I have here, just because I wanted to, to to do something with it, and it's great fun. And I have it sitting here. I, I've got some YouTube videos showing it running with the bit X forty module. I haven't I haven't transmitted with it yet because I'm mostly listening these days. But it's great fun just to listen and, and to tune and oh man, it's just it's it's just amazing. So that's the other project I've had on the bench. And then my third and final uh, quarantine project that I want to mention for for this edition of Solder Smoke is the Drake Two B. This is another thing inspired by you. You had mentioned a while back that uh, about Hayseed Hamfest, and it's a little company out there in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Cedar Rapids, yeah, yeah. and they produce kind of reproduction capacitors for old tube type boat anchor equipment and and they, these are modern capacitors that are just placed in cans that are the size of the old capacitor that that, that originally came with this gear and you can order it for a wide variety of different kind of boat anchor so drop in uh, style equipment yeah they're just drop-ins and they have one for the drake 2b yeah so i sent off my 35 bucks they got them to the mail in the mail very quickly it's a really neat looking capacitor and what this allowed me to do is to go back and, and correct the very slapdash kind of floating around inside the rig capacitor situation that I had that I had before. And uh, it was just great fun. I, I was really happy to get it to get it in there and get the whole thing working properly. I, I also discovered that our friend Alan Wolke, W2AEW, 
I remembered that he had done something similar a few years ago. And I went back to his YouTube channel and it was like I was walking down the same path that Alan had walked through, you know, looking at the same issues, the same parts, how to place them, how to put the capacitor back in. It was, it was really, really great fun. And this has caused me to kind of re-embrace my Drake 2B. I, Pete, you know how long I've had this thing? Mm. I calculated 46 years. Wow. I don't think I own anything else longer than the Drake 2B. I, got, I bought it in April 1974. I, ch- I checked in the Solder Smoke book, and I've had it all this time. It's been with me in about six different countries. Um, but, but great fun. And I started looking at it, and I realized that it, it lost something when I first got it. It lost the skirt. There's a skirt, <laughs> a skirt around the main tuning knob, Yeah. The, the knob. And what the skirt does, it allows you to kind of move frequency with precision. Each one of the, the hash marks on the skirt corresponds to 1KC. And there are 40 such divisions on the skirt. Now, when I got mine from my Elmer, the skirt was gone because he had replaced, he had, first of all, he had put in a reduction drive to, to, make the, to slow down the tuning. And in the course of doing that, the, the skirt got lost or the skirt wasn't mounted. And so now I have a Drake 2B without the skirt. And as I was putting the Hayseed Hamfest thing there, I was thinking, you know, this would be nice. It would be nice to have the skirt. The skirt was put there by the Drake designers for a purpose. I've had this thing 46 years skirtless. Then I remembered I had bounced it around in the junk in the junk box, kind of the skirt equivalent from, I think it's from a Drake 2C. It's, it's about the same size. And I looked at the reduction drive that my Elmer had put in there 50 years ago, and I could see a way that I could put the skirt on the outer portion of the reduction drive so that when I turned the inner shaft it moved it moves but it moves in move it moves not dependent on the what I'm turning but it, it moves based on how the the main tuning capacitor and the dial string mechanism is moving which is exactly what you want so skirtless no more my friend I put a skirt on that old girl there you go and uh, and and it works it's great fun it, it's gonna take a while to get used to because I've been using it with you know the bigger knob and no skirt all these years but i could already see that uh, that i'm looking at the dial and i'm looking at a signal and i'm thinking how many kcs wide is that signal that i'm listening to and i just count the the clicks as i move this thing so it also helps deal with one of the the only kind of shortcomings of the drake 2b which was the dial parallax problem you know when you when you look at the dial the main tuning dial on the drake 2b if, if you move your head to the left or the right you know the the gap between the the the, the printing and the the needle causes a parallax, but you, if you got it calibrated right, this little skirt thing will will keep you yeah. out of trouble there. So it's kind of it's kind of fun. One thing I want to ask the group about, uh, and I know we have a lot of Drake Two B fans out there. Uh, Alan and I both discovered that R Two Bs have reduction drives in them between the main tuning knob and the string mechanism that moves the capacitor. But my theory is that the original stock Drake 2B did not have a reduction drive in there. I think these were all kind of retrofitted by owners who, who saw the need for a mod. Now, I've come across Drake 2Bs at Hamfests, and of course, I've reached down and spun 
the tuning knob, and I'm really shocked at how quickly that needle moves across the dial compared to mine. I looked at the Drake 2B manual, and there's a picture in there of the dial restringing instructions that seems to indicate that there is no reduction drive in the original device. So some of the Drake 2B Drake uh, aficionados out there, please let me know. Is there, a, is there or is there not a reduction drive in the original design? I suspect not. But uh, this is, you know, we, uh, the Solder Smoke podcast has been in the, in the, on the f- forefront, on the cutting edge of Drake 2B research. And so we, we need to know this, this issue now. So please, please let us know. Pete, that's all I have on my bench now. Cool. Well, you didn't say too much about the S38E today. So is it still being used or is it off to the <laughs> side or it's, what's happening? It's, it's beyond off to the side. Oh. It's, it's off to the back and it's up on the top shelf ab- above the DX100. Oh, okay. And two of them are stacked up there. And uh, it's no, no offense. I had great fun with them. I, uh, I put the cardboard uh, back and bottom covers on, on one of them. So that one is, is complete. My junker is now better than the, uh, the one I started out with. And uh, so anyway, it, it's, uh, it's on the shelf for a while, but I, I know I'll come back to this. You know, at the end of the ham radio workbench segment, they, they kind of said to me, well, what's next for uh, N2CQR in terms of home brewing? And I had a tough time answering that question. I said, man, because I was thinking, you know, building SSB transceivers, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. After you've built a bunch of them, you think, oh, man, am I going to do this again? I don't know. And you've built many more than me. But I, I, I said that each time you do one, you include an innovative circuit or something. But I kind of looked around and I said, well, I've all, I'll always have these boat anchors. So they always give you something something to work on. So the S38s are, are now in standby mode, Pete. Ah, okay. Well, right. I, I sent you another link. Uh, you, you were talking about the bent shaft. On the dial, yeah, yeah. I sent you a link. Uh, someone had one for sale. I don't know if that would pick your interest or not, but that's I I, I spotted. I think, and I said Bill might be interested in this. I think I'll I'll have to take a look, but I, I think I'm going to take a break from the uh, from the from the S3080s. They're 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 the kind of thing that might drive you into meditation if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey. Uh, I, we, another segment we've kind of introduced here to, uh, to to add something to the show is the, the solder smoke shopping bag. There you go. Because we've been talking about where to get parts and where to get pieces that you need. I had mentioned that I needed a replacement iron from my Xtronics 4000 soldering station. This was a soldering station that had been mentioned or recommended many years ago Got from the guys from the NJQRP Chat with the Designers program, another uh, really great podcast. And... Uh, a listener wrote in and recommended um, uh, uh, an iron called the Yao Gong, Y-A-O-G-O-N-G. And he said he thinks it would work well with the Xtronics 4000. I was skeptical because I had already bought a different kind of iron replacement. And then I plugged it in and it didn't work with my station, with my uh, you know soldering station. But this one of the listeners, I'm sorry, I don't remember who actually recommended, said they thought that the Yao Gong would work. I ordered it. Bezos got it to me like in a couple days. And Bob was my uncle. It works perfectly. So my, my soldering station is back in business. I thank whoever recommended that. And I'll put the link up for, for this up on the, the Solder Smoke uh, 
on the blog when I post the uh, the podcast. You would you would recommended McMaster for kind of hardware screws and stuff, and I had little a kind of a, a domestic maintenance project here. There's a couple of old uh, doorknobs that had kind of fallen off some of the closets upstairs. And so I've been meaning to, to do it, but I needed some some kind of specially sized screws. McMaster had them. Boom. I put the order in and uh, I was amazed within like a day or a day and a half, the, uh, the almost a day. I mean, I put the order in. I couldn't believe it. I went out and on the front steps. I'm almost like instantaneously tripping over these packages from McMaster. It gave me exactly what I needed. So that was a, that was a real good call, uh, Pete. I also ordered a very long um, um, HDMI cable so I could sit now and watch YouTube videos on the big TV screen. There you go. <laughs> it's some better stuff on YouTube than there is on, on real TV. And uh, finally, I, I mentioned I'm working on a, I, I want a, a resistor kit. You know, I've, I've gone through a number of resistor kits. And I used a SparkFun resistor kit, which was great, but I would find that as I got to the end of use of a SparkFun kit, there'd be a whole lot of values that I never used and a whole lot of others that I really used. So I, I kind of wrote out all the ones that I used. And one of the, one of the listeners has recommended that I, um, I go back and, and just order those that I need in bulk from, from Mauser and make my own kind of bespoke um, needs-based 10k uh, 1k 100 ohms oh, I 470 got the list. Probably, 4. Probably you, yeah i've got my list that's exactly it. i go 4.7 10 47 100 220 330 470 1k 2.2k 3.3k 4.7k 10k yeah stop boom that's it so there you go that's what throw, I'm throw a couple hundred k in there Okay, I'll put a couple hundred K in there. All right, that's good. I think you're right. Um, that's so. That's the shopping bag. You got anything else in the shopping bag? No, segment? no. It's just that uh, there's. I, I'm amazed at the stuff that Amazon carries. Yeah. I mean, there isn't yeah. too much you can't find that isn't being sold by yeah. them. That's really good. I mean, and uh, I, Amazon. Yeah, and but then then if you got to go to a place like McMaster, if it gets really kind of down in the weeds, like like a specific kind of screw or a specific piece of of, of hardware, um, hang ties. Those are the things that come down and and allow that beautiful capacitor you sent to me. They hang off the bottom and allow the thing to be bolted to a chassis. McMaster has them, so really really good stuff. Oh, like a hey, skate Pete. bolt. Yeah, it's like a state bolt. Like you, like you screw the. Yeah. It's got a flat segment. You put it on, and then there's a bolt that yeah, goes down. Yeah, state bolt. Yeah. Yeah, and you could. They've got them. So uh, really good stuff. Pete, solder smoke mailbag. There you go. Yeah. Ooh, that's awesome. Um, we got a lot of good mail here uh, from around the world, which is fun because, like I said, there's the international theme here. VK2 BLQ sent in a picture of a phasing receiver that oh, he built. Oh, nice. With an HRO dial. dial. Yeah. Oh, man. And I, I told him, I said, this made me think the many times when I was fooling around with the HRO dial that Armand, the A1 UQO, sent me, that I thought about, hey, why don't I just hook this up to a rotary encoder? But it just didn't seem right. But anyway, he built this beautiful receiver. He's got a picture of it. I got a picture up on the blog. And I, I thought of you with your phasing difficulties when this came in. 
and I put it up there hoping did, that it would did be Did you notice his HRO had the capacitor at a right angle? Yeah, there's two different styles yeah. of HRO capacitors. There's the, there's the kind of axial and there's at the right angle. I think the right angle ones are actually a little bit better and are a little bit more kind of um, what they used in World War II more commonly, I think. Um, then we got um, Adam, N0ZIB. He sent in a picture of his cool station. You were very impressed with this one. Pete. Yeah, yeah, it was. Did, 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 did you hear the follow-up story? What was the story? Well, he's he built the he he has this nice micro bit X, and he said he had a Heathkit knob on it, and I said, "Oh yeah," I said, yeah. "That's not a Heathkit knob. That's off a of Collins." I said, "That thing is worth a lot of money." I said, "If you, you people try to buy those," so he pulled the knob off, and it's up on eBay now. Oh man! I hope he gets a lot of money. Those things are really expensive. Yeah, bid up, bid them up high. Yeah, send send Adam a lot of money for the for the knob. Yeah, yeah. And Pete spotted it. All right. I mean, yeah, well, he said a, he had gotten a, someone gave him a, a defunct Heathkit transmitter, and that's what was on the transmitter. So he assumed it was a Heathkit knob. I said, no, that's a Collins knob. There you go. Some somebody needs one of those. Yeah, things. yeah. And it, if they're out there in Silicon but Valley, California, they can have the money. <laughs> welded case. Oh, man. There you go. Hey, hey a welded aluminum case. case. Yeah, nice. Very nice. Good job there, Adam. Then we got a, a nice email from Carl, G7 Alpha Foxtrot Tango. He's use, He, too, is using a BitX40, but he's doing the same trick that you discovered. I, I thought this was so cool. It's like when, you know, when... when, when the planets um, align. <laughs> When Newbin, when Newton and Labens both discovered calculus at the same time, yeah, yeah. you and Carl both discovered that you could change a bit X40 module from upper sideband to lower sideband just by switching the range of the VFO from you know above or below the IF frequency, right? So taking the sum or the difference, boom, there you go. Uh, great job on that, um, on that, Carl. Got a, I got an email from a guy who's almost uh, a neighbor, but he's, he's actually about 25 or 30 miles further out from D.C. That's Jerry, K-I-4-I-O. I, I, I was so impressed by some of his, uh, his, his homebrew efforts that I, I dubbed him the Wizard of Warrington because that's the town that he lives in in Virginia. And uh, we got to talking because we, we have a mutual acquaintance from the local radio club. And we were talking about, about him, and then Jerry was talking about how he hopes we're, we're all able to meet up together soon. And, of course, that depends on, uh, on progress on the virus. But uh, it was good to hear from, from, from Jerry. Then uh, Keith, N6ORS, who's a frequent contribute, contributor to the uh, Solder Smoke podcast over the years. Great to hear from Keith again. And he sent us some info on his hot mustard phasing board. He, too, is working on phasing equipment. There must be something about phasing during this time period. A lot of people doing phasing rigs. And he sent us his hot mustard phasing board, which I must say looks very, very nice in the hot mustard can. Um, Mike, N5GTF. Now, Mike went the extra mile on quarantine. You know, they say stay indoors. He took it super seriously. So he built a receiver, and then he built an antenna for the receiver that could be mounted indoors. No going out working on the antennas for him during quarantine. No, no. 
He's a serious quarantine guy. And he built this thing, and he used some big cardboard boxes as kind of the, 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 the form for the loop antenna that he, that he wrapped around the cardboard boxes. It looks great, but here's the thing. That whole inside the cardboard box thing is, is just open. It's just crying out for some sort of slogan. It looks like a billboard without anything written on it. And I think our listeners should take a look at this picture crack out the um, the appropriate software, Photoshop or Paint or whatever, and put something on there appropriate to our podcast, our hobby, the times we live in, something like that. It, it, just, it just cries out for, for free expression. So uh, take a look at that. You'll see it on the blog. The girl with the beam antenna. Oh, we're going to talk about it. She'll... <laughs> she, she'll, <laughs> she'll <laughs> Pete is referring to a picture that popped up on my screen, not the result of any searching. Somebody put this up on, the, I think it was the K9YA Telegram. A young lady assisting in the um, construction of a rooftop antenna. Rotating. <laughs> <laughs> I think I will put this up without any comment. Okay. Just because it's appropriate to today's topic. Right. Okay. All right. I'm going to do that. You guys will see what I mean. Homebrew antennas. Homebrew. There are advantages to homebrew antennas. Yes. Um, speaking of homebrew, uh, Nick M0NTV sent us some pictures of his extremely fine business, Breadbin 80 Quarantine Rig. Now, in the UK, what we would call a bread box, they call a bread bin, all right? And Nick used a bread bin to construct an 80-meter a quarantine rig. It is really beautiful. It's a, it's a, it's, tis a thing of beauty, as they would say in Ireland. And uh, take a look at it. We've got pictures of it up in the blog. Similarly, Bruce KC1FSZ. Bruce is the uh, the the guy with the 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 Barker uh, candies boxes. The the Bark Barker's peppermint candies. And he builds a lot of his rigs in these these boxes. And he built one, he calls it the Quarantine 10, brave man, venturing out on 10 meters during solar minimum. But I'm hearing things about 10 meters. I'm hearing that, uh, I mean, Dean was telling me that 10 meters has been hopping. And I guess it's the 17 kind of, uh, too. Seven. North, South. I was listening to 17 on the Drake 2B the other day. Hey, hey be- but- before we pass M0 NTV, you know those boxes are available at Amazon, <laughs> go to the Solder Smoke block, upper right-hand corner, bin. and they come in all colors. Oh, man. Yeah. He, Colorful. His is sort of a charcoal brown. It looks it looks very radio Blue, red, Blue, Giuliano blue. Yeah. Do they have Giuliano blue yes. bread bins? and they're like 25 bucks, something like that. Nice. I hope there's no Giuliano bread bins. There is. Oh, my gosh. See, so guys, here's an opportunity. Be the first kid on the block to build a, a quarantine rig in a Giuliano blue British bread bin. Yes, nice. You'll be declared a boffin for sure. Yeah, yes. All right. Um, we also heard from our old friend Grayson Evans, KJ7UM, also known as Tango Alpha 2, Zulia, Zulu Golf Echo from his days in, in Turkey. And I had found in my junk box... This beautiful um, Collins uh, filter. You can see it there, Pete. And um, great, great stuff. 
And I just couldn't figure out. It's got these two little holes, like two little tunnels through there. And I thought I was missing something. I thought maybe the, the iron cores from these things had fallen out, rendering them useless. But Grayson points out that this is where, in the Collins, the advanced Collins receivers, they had sort of motor-driven cores that would come in and out to tune these things precisely to the frequencies that you were operating on. So this thing really works. It still resonates. It's a transformer that resonates at 9.9 megacycles. Megacycles, not hertz, megacycles. And um, that puts it smack dab in the middle of my beloved 31-meter shortwave band. Yes, bandpass filter. Possibilities there, possibilities. Thanks for, for your help on that, uh, Grayson. Also, similarly, I mentioned we talked to Alan Walkie about the Drake 2B stuff and the question about the reduction drives. We'll, we will get to the bottom of this. Been in correspondence with Paul down there near Melbourne, VK3HN, Hotel November. What we've been talking about is um, spurs in the ceramic resonator response curves. Uh, I have noticed that using the ceramic resonators at 455 kcs, especially the widest ones, I'm using 10 kc wide filters, ceramic resonators, ceramic filters actually, uh, at the 455 kcif range and i noticed that really strong signals will show up twice on the dial right? and when you look at the murata spec sheets on some of these ceramic filters they will note that there are spurs sporadic uh, responses in the band pass spread in the bad band band passes of these things in other words they will resonate not only around you know, 10 kcs around 455 kcs. There might also be a point where they're kind of responding at 457 or 453. And this is bad news when you've got a signal coming in from, say, Radio Madrid. AM signal. Uh, uh, you know, a, a, a multi-megawatt, you know, AM signal coming in from Radio Madrid that's just, you know, blasting your, uh, uh, your signal off the, off the bench. And um, so uh, you, that, that's, that's really kind of tough to deal with. So we're looking at that. I, I ordered some just ordinary 455KC IF cans because you might be able to get similar 10KC wide kind of AM uh, frequency response and, and just do it with the, the IF cans. So I might be experimenting with, with that a little bit. Finally, Pete, uh, Peter, so many Pete's in ham radio. We've talked about this, but Peter... Uh, our good friend VK2EMU wrote when he looked at the um, at the videos, some of the videos that I made. He said, uh, "I think when in the credits, because we always do give credits to our good friend and motion picture director Giovanni Manzoni. People who've been looking at these videos know that." Uh, he Peter suggested also in the credits we make note of the fact that no animals were harmed in the production of these videos. He said, but we might have to make note that many electrons were, in fact, agitated. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, Pete, we've been out of here over an hour. Yes. This has been fun. Thank you for six years of Giulianismo. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, man, it's been great. Yeah. It's been great. Cool. And, uh, you know, so so get going with the meditation. Mm. You know, that's... Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> 
Pete, thanks very much. You bet. Hey, be safe. Enjoy the memorial. You got rain, though, huh? Right? It's 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 nice out there right now. Oh, be, but nice, they yeah. were saying that uh, it's putting a real damper. They were showing a lot of the beaches in New Jersey and New York and that that are now open. Yeah. People aren't going anyway because it's a downpour. Could be, could be a good thing, you know. Yeah. There's every dark cloud, you know. Yeah. Be yeah. careful out there. The virus is still out there. You bet. Seven three from Northern Virginia. Seven three from the left coast. Thanks, Pete. We'll see ya. See ya. Ciao. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Soldersmoke is listener-supported. And there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!